morning, church. I am uh, glad to be with you, and with you on two microphones so far. Um, this is a, a week that we're kind of in between series, so we just wrapped up a series called What If Jesus Was Serious? Um, next week, we're going to go into a brand new series uh, called Signal in the Static. I don't know if you feel or have felt in the past that there's just a lot of voices in the air and a lot of ones that are trying to pull our attention and our affection in every, every single way possible. Um, is there a signal in all of that static, and how do we tune into that? It's kind of what we're doing next week. But that leaves me with a week here in the middle uh, where we don't necessarily have anything lined out. And so I've been praying through um, what, what we'd be sharing and what we'd be talking through this morning. And a couple of weeks ago, I thought I had a pretty good idea, and I wrote a bunch of things down on this piece of paper, and I don't know what is actually going to come out. Um, but I wanted to take us to a story, before we um, step away from the life of Jesus, I wanted to take us to a story that has captivated me. It's been something that I've come back to a number of different times um, that just is compelling to me and leads me to ask some hard questions. So I'd invite you to turn with me to um, the book of Luke and Luke chapter 5. If you want to use the blue Bibles, it should be tucked under a chair in front of you. It's on page 1074 in the blue Bibles. I'm going to navigate to Luke chapter 5. And it looks like we're getting there. And so let's pause together this morning if this is even going to work. And it's not. Um, but let's, oh, that's not working. I'm, I'm, okay, here we go. We're going to be all right. Sneak peek. Okay. <laughs> now you know where we're going. Ready? <clears throat> so it's clear to me, perhaps it is becoming clear to you how much we need the Lord this morning. So let's pray together. It's our habit uh, to pray the disciples' prayer. Um, and we pray it out of out of the English Standard Version. So it's probably a little bit of a different version than the one you memorized as a kid. Um, but let's bow our hearts together and pray together. If you'd like to pray out loud, then you're welcome to. It's, it's there on the screen. But let's, let's begin this week with prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Look with me at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read, I'm going to try to unfold the story a little bit. Um, as opposed to reading the whole section, I see some of you guys are already reading ahead. I'm going to ask you to, to put the brakes on, like let's, let's tap the brakes a little bit. We're going to move through slowly so that I can paint a picture for you, and then we're going to paint a different picture. So I've got two pictures I'm going to paint for you this morning, and hopefully that will be helpful in clarifying some things that maybe we suspect, suspected. Um, so on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, him being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So let's pause there. Let's, let's set the scene a little bit. 
we've got uh, Jesus. Uh, he, he kind of, uh, Luke opens telling the, the story of the birth and so the Christmas story and everything that happens there. And then there's a brief, uh, a brief conversation about his teenage years. Chapter 4 talks about John the Baptist preparing the way. Um, but Jesus grows up in Nazareth, and as he's preaching at the synagogue in Nazareth, um, he says, hey, I came to fulfill what the prophets of old said. And everybody like, was really on board with that message, um, so on board that they took him to the edge of town next to a cliff and wanted to throw him off. Um, which, you know, was a, a, a home run of a sermon. Um, if everybody wants to kill you, at least they were moved to action, right? Um, and so he just walks through the crowd, and he's like, obviously I'm not going to stay here. They're not going to hear me for much longer. So he goes to a little town by the lake, um, or we, we might know it as the Sea of Galilee. It actually is more of a lake, and Luke calls it a lake, the Lake of Gennesaret. And uh, he sets up shop in Capernaum, and he shows up in Capernaum, and he begins teaching in the synagogue there. He gets a, a more welcome reception as he begins to teach. He's kind of this unknown teacher from Nazareth and what the heck is going on. Um, and he actually ends up healing his hostess. So the lady who has shown hospitality and has invited him into her, his home, he, she has a fever and he heals her. And she happens to have a son-in-law named Simon. And so... One day, on one occasion, there was a crowd that was following Jesus. He was outside of the synagogue. This wasn't like a Saturday Sabbath school deal. Like This is just him trying to go through his week, and there are so many people following him. He says, okay, I need, to, I need to get away. So he comes up, and he's near the shore, and he walks upon some boats, and some fishermen have pulled the boats in. They've got their nets out, and they're washing their nets. Do like for us, it's like, oh, cool. Like that's, that's, this is Bible time. So fisher people do weird stuff all the time. But, but what we should hear is Jesus walks up at the end of third shift to a bunch of guys who've spent their whole nights breaking their backs and says, hey, hey, can you guys do me a favor? I just, I, can you just put your boat out a little bit so I can get some separation and these people can hear me and they'll stop like pushing on me. Is that cool? So, all right. Sure. Simon is the one who owns the boat, and it's Simon's mother-in-law whom he healed. So maybe Simon feels like he owes Jesus a favor. But if you're coming up to me at the end of my shift and asking me for a favor like that, that list of things I'm going to do for you is real, real short, right? Don't press your luck, buddy. You're on thin ice as it is. So he comes up to the, these working guys and says, hey, can you put out from shore? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the boat, and he's teaching, and he's teaching, and he's teaching, and he's teaching. So you've already worked all night long. And now this guy comes up and asks you a favor, and he's, and he's a long-winded preacher, apparently, and is just rattling on and on and on and on, okay? So that's, that's the scene, all right? We, are we there? So let's pick up in, in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, whenever that happened to be, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down a nest. Now let's, let's just pause for a moment. Let's, let's, let's look at the characters. Let's look at the people, the humans that are standing in a boat on the lake at this moment. You've got Peter, who grew up in Capernaum. His generations of people have lived on this lake. They have fished this lake. He inherited his father's business. He is now running the business. He knows how to fish the uh, Lake Gennesaret. I'm going to go back and forth between the lake and the sea. Like it's just both, both of the words are in my head, so I'm sorry if it's confusing. I'm trying. 
Um, he's, he's been fishing these waters for his whole life long, and he's just gotten off from a really bad night. So, you know, you've done something long enough, you know sometimes you have good nights, sometimes you have bad nights, sometimes things go the way you want them to do, sometimes every time you go to pick up a tool that breaks in your hands, right? Okay, that's just me. All right. So you guys, you guys are better craftspeople than me. Excellent. <clears throat> so they've had a bad night. And this, this rabbi, this long-winded preacher from out of town, he's from Nazareth, which doesn't mean anything to you, but that actually is just a city that's up on the uh, town, really. It wasn't a city until Jesus made it popular. Um, so there's a, a town that's up on the top of a hill, like as far away from the water as possible, like mountain dweller, if you could call it a mountain, hill dweller kind of dude, like landlocked, comes down to where I have been living on this, on this lake shore my whole life and fishing these waters my whole life. And now you are going to tell me at the conclusion of your sermon that what we need to do is the opposite of what has ever worked in my whole life. That's ridiculous. I clearly am the expert here. What, do you, what could you possibly know about fishing in the Sea of Galilee? Which makes me wonder what Jesus was teaching about. Like, do you ever read a Bible story and you have more questions than, than, than answers? Like, what could Jesus have been talking about? At the end of a third shift that did not go well, that Peter could look at him and say, hey, we didn't catch anything all night long, but at your word... I will let down the nets. Verse 8. Or verse 6, excuse me. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So we've fished all night. We've not caught anything. I've now listened to you preach. I'm tired. I'm de delirious with exhaustion. I, I had just gotten my nets clean, and then you drag me out into the lake again, and now I'm dropping them down. And now, maybe there's a calculation going on in his head of like, now my nets are, are breaking. Like the, the, my livelihood is coming apart because, you have, uh, because we're catching so many fish. They call another boat nearby. Hey, come over and help us draw this in because I don't know if you've ever like tried to stand up on a canoe. Like if you're bringing weight in out of the water, like you, there's a destabilizing that's happening and, and, and this destabilizing, it might be causing Peter to question every life decision he's ever made. Because they've never had this kind of a catch. They've never had, and it's in the middle of the day. Like we fished all night because that's when you catch fish. You don't catch fish in the day. Like this is not how it's supposed to go. But I'm here and I'm, I'm pulling and my partner is pulling and my, my partner's buddy in the other boat, they're pulling. And we've got so many fish that we're sinking both of the boats. And what is happening here But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. He said, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. So at this sight, 
at this, at this moment of clarity that I'm, I'm, I might not be completely bought in on who Jesus is and everything that he's saying, but I see that there's a wisdom here that's beyond something that I have yet encountered. In this moment of clarity about who Jesus is, Peter also has a piercing understanding of who he is in his core. He looks at this man and says, you, you are too holy for me. Like, you, you ought to get out of here. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, and you've got no business being in my boat. When we see Jesus clearly, we know ourselves to be truly unworthy of his presence. And yet, Jesus leans into our sinful nature and brings to us true life. He extends to us a life that we could never acquire on our own. All of our searching and all of our fishing and all of the seas and all of the world could never bring to us the life that Jesus brings. Not only does he bring us life, but he gives us a life on purpose. Our true life includes a, a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. You've seen what I can do with some stupid fish. Now see what I'm going to do with you. From now on, you'll be catching men. Sorry, it's not, that was an ambulance turning around the parking lot. That's not usual. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, let's pause and pray. Father, thanks so much for uh, being attentive to our word, uh, or to, to us speaking to you, not to our word. But God, thank you that we can hear, or that you will hear our prayers when we bring them to you. Uh, Lord, just lift up the paramedics right now. Ask that you'd give them skill and, and grace. Um, Lord, we pray for those who are hurt and injured. God, that you would bring healing. Um, and Lord, that you would use uh, all of this in some way to draw people to yourself. Um, thanks. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Spoiler alert, the conclusion of this sermon is to love your neighbor. So is, that, is there something that we can do out there? Okay. True life includes a purpose bigger than ourselves. Um, and our big idea for the morning is that Jesus transforms us in order to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him. There was this average day at the end of a busted work day where nothing had gone right, where, Jesus, where Peter's life is going to change from here on out. I was talking to a young guy a couple, of, uh, a couple of months ago, maybe a month or so ago, and he was asking me, <laughs> it's, it's funny, um, he, said, he said, how much money do I need to have in the bank before I get married? Like, how much money should I have in savings? <laughs> And I, I bust out laughing. I said, I'm sorry. There are people that can answer that question, and I am not one of them. Like, I was, I was the guy at, at, at 20 years old when we got married that I don't even know that I personally had a savings account, didn't have a job. All I knew was I was getting ready to go to school and get a whole bunch of debt. And, and so, like, we had half of a plan and, um, and no money at all. And... <laughs> 
and moved out of this like this nest bubble where I had employment and things like that and moved like four states over to the Arctic tundra in northern Indiana where we didn't know anybody, didn't have any jobs, didn't have any support at all. And like that's how we started our marriage. Like we, we got married in, in July and then we moved in August out of state. And then in September we found out that we were pregnant with Camden. And then in October or November we told our parents that we were pregnant because we didn't want them to know because they were already stressed about what we were doing. So this guy, I'll, I'll bring him back. <clears throat> And this kid asked me, he says, hey, hey, how much money do I need to have in the bank before I get married? I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe a counselor, counsel of, wiz, of, of wise counselors will, will be able to help you here. But I, I said to him in, in a moment of clarity of the, the, the moments of your life where everything's going to hinge and everything's going to turn, you're not going to know you were there. You're not going to know that you were making a choice that was going to change the trajectory of your life until about two years down the road. And he says, well, that's terrifying. I said, yes. And that's why every parent of teenagers has no hair left, right? We're all gray now, right? You're not going to know at the moment of decision that you're at the moment of decision until you get down the road, and then you'll have clarity. And so we can sit here 2,000 years later and go, wow, Pete, like, that was a big deal. Like you should have been like pep. You should have had an extra cup of coffee at the end of your third shift that night. And he didn't know that. It was just another day. But he had a clarity about who Jesus was, and that clarity brought clarity about who he was. And he knew if he was going to interact with Jesus at all, then he needed Jesus to overcome that barrier. And Jesus immediately turns and says, "You're going to have a bigger purpose. You're now going to be catching men." I don't know where I heard it, but it's haunted me since I have. In a conversation about evangelism and outreach and, and, and what is the church in America doing, somebody said, the reasons that, or the primary reason that Christians don't share their faith in Jesus is because they don't have anything to share. And in the moment that I heard it, I personally was convicted, and it has driven me to this question that I've repeatedly come back to, as are we being transformed by Jesus? Do I have a story where I have seen Jesus clearly, I have seen myself clearly, and I've seen how he is bridging the gap between what's broken and what is the most whole? Are we being transformed by Jesus? Do we have this moment where we say, yeah, like, I don't think I get it all. You said a lot of things, Jesus. You were preaching for a long time. I don't think I understand, but you can have my boat, and I'll follow you. Are we being transformed by Jesus? Because here's, here's, here's the thing. <clears throat> Pete, or Jesus looks at Pete and says, now on you're going to be catching men. And if you ask me, my professional opinion, Okay, for what it's worth, my two cents. This is a bad plan. Jesus has a bad plan. Do you know Peter? Like, yeah, he's a business owner and blah, 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 but like his like, oh yeah, we've been out fishing all night and didn't catch anything. Like that's like, 
that's like a, a, a filtered Peter. Like that's the rated G version of Peter. Like he, he is a hothead. He always is running his mouth. He's going off all the time. Like he's constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Even when he knows better, he can't stop himself from making a fool of himself. And, and Jesus, like perfect teacher, incarnate God, looks at that guy and says, hey, you're going to be the one that I'm going to use to catch other people. And to me, that's a, that's a bad plan because, because you want to use the best of the best. You want to use the people who like, can string coherent thoughts together. You want to, you want to, you want to use the people that when, when Jesus speaks, they understand. And I have not yet counted, but there's a significant number of times in the text, in the Bible, where, where the Bible says they didn't get it. Jesus said very clean, plainly what was going to happen, and they did not understand. Not only did they not understand, they were afraid to ask Jesus to clarify. Like, this is a bad plan. He's going to use these guys. These, these, aren't, these aren't like the best of the best, Harvard, educated, clean-cut, polo shirt, like going to go take the world entrepreneurs. It's a couple of fishermen in a boat. They probably talk funny. They ain't from the city. And Jesus says, from here on out, you're with me. And from now on, you're going to be catching men. It's not a good plan. Because if, like, if the tools are broken, you can't get the job done, right? But Jesus transforms us in order to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him. Now, now uh, let me make an observation because I suspect uh, I'm going to say something and you're going to picture something different. And so let me, let me clarify something because we've been talking about fishing, okay? And we, it's not, it's not right or wrong, but we as Americans have a picture of what we think fishing is when we think about fishing. So when I say to you that fishing is not a team sport, you're like, that doesn't make sense. When I think of fishing, I, I think of a guy like in a lake with a rod and a reel and he's like throwing it out there and he's catching the fish. And if I'm thinking of like a team sport of fishing, like it's a bunch of dudes out in the river wading around and everybody's got their line and they're throwing their line out and everybody's like, yeah. And so if I'm telling you that you then, if I were to apply this principle and say that we then are going to be catching men, that we then are going to be fishers of men, if I'm going to use the King James language, um, then we're thinking that, okay, well, now I got to get my rod and my reel out and I got to go fishing for Jesus. And I got to like, and, and we, we think of terms, we think of terms fishing like sniping, like it's, it's a one shot, one kill deal, right? But that's because we're Americans. And so when we hear the word fishing, these are the pictures that populate our head. It's not wrong, but, that's, but let's understand that the world that they occupied had a different picture of fishing. Their fishing was actually a team sport. It looked more like throwing a net out and everybody hauling it back in together. And when I say that, you're like, yeah, that's what the story says. Like he said it all the time. Every time he talked about fishing, there were multiple people in the boat and they were all working together. But there's something that happens when, I, when, when we make the shift from then Jesus is making us fishers and men that we now slip into fishing, uh, uh, fly fishing 
and we're like, okay, I got to go out and I got to find somebody and I got to evangelize and it's all on me and like Jesus is working through me to reach other people and so I got to go and, and do that. And what I'd like to encourage us is that if Jesus transforms us to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him, that he actually wants for us together to work as a team in order to bring people to him. Which is a lot of words. If you've been in, in church at all, um, there, I have felt, because I know that my spiritual gifts are not towards like one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Like if you tell me to go sit on the, stand on the street and start preaching, I don't know how to do that. Like I don't, and I have friends in Melbourne that are great at that. Like they'll just stand up and start preaching out of Romans and yelling and blah, 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 and they're great. Like, but that's not my gift. I, I can't do that. And I'm more like, yeah, like let's go, let's go have coffee or something like that. And so then I feel guilty. I'm like, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not a good enough evangelist. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't working in my life because, because Peter's going to get up and he's going to preach a sermon one day and there's going to be like 300 people that get added in one day, 3,000. Yeah, 3,000. See, I'm underselling it. Um, 3,000 people in one day. I'm like, that's not how I, like, obviously God uses Pete as an evangelist. Like, what's going on here? Maybe it's not me. And so I want to alleviate some of that guilt. Um, and because this picture is kind of separated from our experience, how many of us have been dragnet fishing? One. Always one. Always an exception to the illustration. <clears throat> so... If you haven't been dragnet fishing, then this metaphor of co-laboring can be far-fetched. So, so what I would like to do is to paint a different picture. Can we do that? Yeah, okay, cool. Excellent, great. Um, so you have some variety of a sidewalk. So your sidewalk might literally be in front of your house. You might have a sidewalk in front of your house where people walk back and forth or you're in a neighborhood and people go running all the time. You, you have some kind of a sidewalk. If you don't have a sidewalk, then you go to the grocery store or wherever it is that you happen to be that you're in public that is a shared space where other people can interact with you. Like you have a sidewalk. And guess what? You are there. Like you show up at the sidewalk. And you can meet people at the sidewalk. And we can, it takes work for, more work for some of us, but we can like, be normal at the sidewalk and just be ourselves. And we can have like, hobbies, like uh, music or Dungeons and Dragons or um, whatever your hobbies may be. Like You can just be on the sidewalk and you like a thing. Pokemon, it it's harder for some of us to be normal, but like... We can be on the sidewalk and, and we can just engage with people. And, and guess what? We can just have friends. And that's okay because Jesus is transforming our lives to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him. However Jesus would play Dungeons and Dragons or however Jesus would play Pokemon or however Jesus would play music, maybe we try to figure out what that might look like. What would it look like for Jesus to show up on my sidewalk? And maybe, maybe that's what he wants for me to do, is to just show up in places and invite people into my front yard so that we can have a conversation about the shared interest that we have 
Um, but they can also get to know me better and know that like my affections are tied to Jesus, that he, I have had this moment of clarity and that he is like transforming every aspect of my life and he's even redeeming the way that I do my hobbies and things like that. And so I'm having a conversation with this person. Like, you know what? Like, I want you to like uh, be more involved in my life. Like, I want you to meet my family. Like, I'm going to open the gate and I'm going to bring you not into the front yard, but I'm going to bring you back into my space where my family is, into the backyard and where we're going to grill together and we're going to meet one another and we're going to have more conversations. And they're going to realize that not only am I like semi normal, but also like my family is also semi normal in the sense that like no family is actually normal, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Invite them into this space and like get to interact and, and begin to have more conversations about, hey, what's going on with you? Like, how are things going? And you can, um, you know, point them to like, hey, uh, this is, I see that you have this problem. This is how God walked with me through that. You can take the conversation deeper and say, Jesus walked me through that. And he wants to walk with you through that. But mostly, like, the, like, if you have people in your backyard, there's a fire pit going, like, there's some kind of a party. And, and sometimes, sometimes, it can be difficult to have, like, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But, but there's another invitation that we can extend to join us in the living room on the couch and have, like, the real, like, hash-out talks. Like, you guys are having this problem, and we navigated that problem, and so let's pray together and figure out how Jesus wants to, do, wants to work in your life through this in order that he might transform you. As people come to us and they, they, they have questions, but they don't know what they are, like as we grow in relationship, we might have a better understanding of what their questions are than they do, and we can then continue to point them to the answer, which is Jesus. From now on, you'll be catching men. And I tried to paint it in a way that we don't get stuck in like a fishing boat. Like, fishing was Peter's life, but that's not really our life. So how are we, how are we showing up on, on the sidewalk? Are, are we just kind of like, we got our blinders on and we're like, yeah, just, just don't talk to me. I don't really want to deal with you right now. I got things to do. I got a list. I got a list. And if I don't check things off the list, then I'll feel terrible about myself at the end of the day. Or... Are we, we have our eyes open and we're saying, hey, like that person looks like they're having a rough day. Or, hey, like you like that thing, I also like that thing. Let's be best friends forever, which again, is harder for some of us to be normal. That's, that's me. Um, but then, hey, like not just I need, I, I'm out showing up in the sidewalk, but then like I'm, I, I have other people who I'm connected with and I want you to meet my friends. And, and I've got this one friend that's like super direct and they'll go like straight to, uh, straight for the jugular on whatever spiritual issue they think you're having. Like, so sometimes I don't invite people to his house. Um, he's a nice guy, but he's later on, like, you gotta, it's an acquired taste. Um, but, but he has a certain set of gifts that there are times where I want people to be in a room with him because I know he's gonna straight up ask him, like, are you following Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? And that's great because that's not really how I approach things, but, it, but at some point you have to get to that, 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 um, that conversation but we're connecting them to the rest of the body. It's not just all on you. There are other gifts. As we read out of Romans, there are other gifts, and the body works together, and God uses each of them in their own specific way. So if we don't show up, then we're robbing people that need our gifts 
from being, um, from experiencing them or being encouraged or strengthened by them. So there's some of you that are looking at this and going, Mike, that's great, but like I super, like I, I was involved with community one time and it was messy and it was dirty and people were mean and it was nasty. And I completely understand. Like I have also had similar kinds of experiences, but I had another pastor who encouraged me over the last couple of weeks that said, yes, you can, you can make your life easier by avoiding other people and having no community and having no relationships. That will make your life easier, but it will not make your life better. The government of the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness to address the fact that God made us, created us to be part of a community. And we like to think, like, I could, I just don't need, like, if I had no people in my life, my life would be easier. And perhaps it would be easier, but I don't know. I don't think. I have a strong suspicion that it would not be better. So who are we fishing with? Who, who do we trust to pull the net with us? They might rock the boat. Like, not everybody has the same set of skills, but, but, but they're my partner. Like, I'm, I'm with them. They're with me. And they might stick their foot in their mouth, but like, I, I love them. Who, who are we fishing with? And where might we be neglecting to represent Jesus well? And I, I use the word neglecting, which sounds like it's got a whole bunch of baggage in it, but I just mean like sometimes we don't even think about it. It's not, it's not that it's not important to us. It's just that, oh, I never even thought that like the way I show up on the sidewalk matters for Jesus. Because Jesus transforms us to invite our neighbors to meet and to follow him. Let me just close with a couple more thoughts. The first is this. It's an invitation to meet Jesus and to follow Jesus. It's not about neighborhood church. And it's not about good news church. It's not about whatever your favorite church is. If we're not inviting people to Jesus, then we're missing it. It's Jesus first. It's Jesus in the middle. It's Jesus throughout. It's Jesus underneath. It's Jesus over. It's Jesus in the end. We invite people to follow him. And consider that perhaps people may meet Jesus in us before they'll ever be open to meeting him face to face. And having a clear picture of who Jesus is and how he acts helps us to represent him well. Because we know our, our weaknesses in those moments. So, who, who are we praying for? What are we asking Jesus to do in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces? That may be helpful. It's helpful for me to actually write some names down. Not because we're out trying to snipe people. Not because we really want to land the big one. Because Jesus transforms us and invites us into his mission. 
to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I do thank you for this story that it was recorded. And there, there are other biographies that cover this and, and they miss, they, they, they don't include so much detail. So I thank you for Dr. Luke who, uh, who cared to write down all of the details of this, that we might be challenged by it. And Lord, I pray that it would be your spirit that's working here. God, my, my purpose is not to, to try to bring uh, condemnation or conviction or say we failed or whatever that might be. But Lord, I just pray that your spirit would lead us to whatever it is the next step is for us. Would you give us clarity on who you're putting in our path? Would you help us to have your eyes to see the world? Would you help us even to love our enemies, wherever we may find them? It's in your name that we pray.